I'm not trusting just anybody with cooking my bull testicles. Hello, everybody. This is Learn, Live, Love Abroad, and we are back. I know, way too long to wait for another episode, but it's okay. We're going to start producing them on a regular basis now. I promise. Once a week. Yeah, we took a break because we were in college. It was just too much. We were living our lives, basically, trying to get out of college, working full time. It was just, it was too much to try to do the podcast as well. So So we stopped, but we managed to actually hold on to the website for the entirety of the time. And we're starting it back up again with the biggest change It is super, super exciting. We have decided to do van life. For those of you that don't know, van life is literally just living in a van. We're traveling, not full-time, but we're traveling a lot more. Yeah, we live in a van. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of our stuff will be travel-centric and van-centric, talking about what it's like to live in a van, why we would even decide to do this. So this podcast, we're pretty much going to be talking about the initial move. We're going to be talking about what we did to get ready for it, and we're going to be talking about the first month in it. As we're sitting here recording this, we have been in the van for pretty much a month. A little over a month. We moved into the van about a month ago, but let's honestly go back to the beginning. We decided to do van life about two years ago. I decided I wanted to do van life and (laughs) had to convince Alicia. Well, in all fairness, living in a van sounds scary. It's a little overwhelming. It accomplished a lot of our goals that we wanted to do, so it made sense. But at the same time, it's it's very overwhelming. <laughs> it is. I'm going to get rid of everything except fit into my vehicle. But it's a vehicle we don't have yet, so I don't have a point of reference. That is a scary thought, considering we both came from a Honda Prelude that we had been driving at the time to two-door coupe. We were going to be able to put our entire life in that even though that's not what we were planning on doing, but that's what it felt like to us, was absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I mean, we did road trips in the Honda Prelude in our early 20s. They were doable, but they were still miserable because we would would sleep in it or we would camp outside of our car, which meant a lot of setting up, a lot of tearing down. And it was just, I don't know, it wasn't sustainable by far. And what's funny, so the the trip she was talking about, we went down to the Grand Canyon. The biggest thing that I had decided was I was not going to sleep on the ground anymore. Ironically, I'm 23 now and I complain like an old man that my back hurts and my hips hurt. All of that, it's just not pleasant for me. No more. I'm not sleeping on the ground anymore. I don't like this. I don't care for it. But the traveling was so much fun. It was so entertaining. I I didn't want to give that up. So naturally, I started to look and I came across you know, hashtag van life and fell in love with it. But more so fell in love with the idea that I was going to be able to work from anywhere. And that's really what sold it for me was simply the idea that, you know, I can be in California one day and I can be across the States within a week. I mean, that's really what sold me. What sold me on van life was being able to travel. It's a way to save money so that you can travel more. It's a way to save money so that you're not paying rent, coating the pockets of someone else, paying their mortgage instead of your own. And rent in Colorado is absolutely ridiculous. So van life just made sense for us. It was a year and a half ago. We didn't have a ton of savings for the van. So we bought a van that probably isn't what you would typically see on like hashtag van life as a conversion. 
Yeah, considering all of those vans are like $60,000 rigs, they're all the Ram Promasters and the Mercedes Sprinter. That's literally what you think of when you see hashtag van life. Honestly, I, I think we were slightly overwhelmed after we tore out the interior. The interior was gross, by the way. It was really gross. Yeah, so to paint the picture, this van, it's a handicap van. And it was used to transport people that I don't think were necessarily incontinent. So they didn't have full control over themselves, so the carpet was nasty. The walls were nasty. The plastics were disgusting. It just was in pretty rough shape to begin with. Plus, they didn't drive it very often. They didn't take care of it very well. So just tearing stuff out was, like, waterlogged and mold-ridden, and it was just, it was kind of gross. And so after that, we actually sat on it for a long time. We worked on it a little bit over the weekends, but for the most part, we were just sitting on it, basically banking on the fact that it was going to build itself, which it totally didn't. Nor should we have expected it to. <laughs> no, most definitely not. But the big thing happened, my work life went downhill. Ultimately culminated in the fact that I wasn't happy anymore. I wasn't able to come home with a smile on my face, and I could see that, and, I'm, and I know Alicia could. Oh yeah, no, it was pretty obvious that you were super unhappy with your job, you were super unhappy working, or at least picturing this as your work for the next 10 years, 15 years, it didn't seem good. No. We had always planned what we were going to do out before, so even after I had a, a talk where if I was single, I would have walked out at that point, I went home, checked with Alicia, we talked about it, and it was funny because she basically said, yeah, why didn't you quit then? Really nice to have someone that can support you like that. Well, yeah, I mean, it was one of those things, your mental happiness or your mental health is way more important than making money. You can't make money if you're unhappy in your job. You're just not going to put your best effort into it is just not worth it. I quit my job and then went into full-blown van build. At the time I had quit my job, it was still pretty snowy out, so I couldn't work every day. In the meantime, I was building a side business. I was getting together different assets so that in the future we'll be able to work from the road. Now, that's still not completely enacted now, but it's a whole hell of a lot closer than it was back when we started doing this. In my free time, when I couldn't work on the van, I was working on that. I was pretty much building the van myself, you know, nine to five on Monday through Friday. And thank God I quit my job. The van build ultimately took, what, five and a half months? It took I mean, you almost six months. It to took build me practically six months. Yeah. I'm really, really glad that it that I did that because there was no way we were going to be able to do this in the time frame that we had allotted, you know, just weekends for. Yeah, we definitely didn't realize how long it was going to take, or at least how how much effort it was going to take in those days, because we're kind of half-assing it for the first couple of months, and then it was like, oh, yeah, no, we have like six months left. We better really get on it, you know? Yeah. We went through, built the van. That was an experience all in itself. We got really, really lucky. I, I won't go into any of the van build specifics except for one part. When you build out and you completely gut and you completely refinish the interior, obviously you're going to put insulation in because you have opportunity to. However, insulation is ridiculously expensive. For one sheet, I think it's like 60 or $70. Or However... 40. I, I don't know. Regardless, I was not looking forward to buying like 10 sheets of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, since, however, we don't know how much it was because we ended up getting all the insulation that we needed for free because we moved into new construction apartment complex 
So we were actually the first people and only people in our building for the first couple of months. They were throwing away insulation that was partly used or looked broken or they didn't need because that's the way new construction works. Because they were building the rest of the apartments, we ended up taking a bunch of that insulation from the trash and there was nothing wrong with it. It was just sitting on the side next to the trash ready to go because they didn't need it. We really lucked out there. Oh yeah, that was amazing. Amazing. Because we probably would have went a cheaper way and it would have sucked. And yeah, definitely glad that we came across that. In the meantime, we had been downsizing and downsizing a lot. Going from, we lived in an apartment for basically three years of our lives outside of our parents' house, that is. And in that three years, we accumulated some quite a bit of stuff, which everyone accumulates quite a bit of stuff when you're living on your own. Especially when you're living with a place that's got quite a bit of space. We were actually living in, you know, two-bedroom apartment with a roommate. So we only had one bedroom, but it was still, you know, bigger than a studio. So we had a lot of, a lot of closet space and we just accumulated a lot of stuff, especially in our closets. Our closets were filled to the brim with like stuff that you hardly ever use. It was ridiculous. I had the entire walk-in closet to myself with a dresser. Kodiak probably only had about, oh, I don't know, like two, three foot, two, three foot worth of shirts, dress shirts that you would hang in there. Otherwise he had his own dresser. And so when we were downsizing, going through that closet was absolutely crazy. It was just, we had so much stuff and it was, it was funny because I was emotionally attached to it, which is just, it's, it's stupid. It was stuff that I could buy for less than $5 if I wanted to today. It was not important stuff. When we started to downsize, we stuck to the rule of the 20 for 20 and 20. Basically what that states is that if you can buy it for less than $20 in less than 20 miles or in less than 20 minutes, you need to get rid of it because it's not that valuable in your life. So that protects stuff like your TV, a game console, stuff that could potentially bring value to your life and still is a sizable liquid investment. That's how we started. And once we started to get rid of stuff, oh my gosh, it was the biggest relief and whirlwind ever. It was kind of crazy how good it felt to get rid of a bunch of stuff that we didn't actually want. It was kind of crazy how much stuff we had accumulated where, yeah, I don't really care about this or I've used this like twice. It's I've got emotional attachment to it. Do I really need it? No. Not really. It's funny because Alicia goes through her hard time with getting rid of stuff, and then I went through mine as well. A lot of the stuff I was just so easy to throw away, but some of the stuff that was absolutely silly, like t-shirts. I had a dresser drawer, almost two dresser drawers worth of t-shirts, and that was so difficult for me to get rid of. I actually sat down and downsized four times before I'm at the point where I'm at now where I only have the shirts that I need. Clothes were definitely one of the hardest because you have a lot of clothes, especially me because I had I work clothes and regular clothes, like clothes that you wear on the weekend. It was just prom dresses and fancy dresses and it was like I don't need all these dresses I don't wear dresses so why do I have all of these clothes were they were hard they were hard but the big thing that you realize once you start to get rid of stuff and you get that endorphin rush of getting rid of stuff I know that's silly to say you get an endorphin rush from getting rid of stuff but you do you really do it's because there's less clutter in your house there's less clutter in your life there's less stress going on when I would look at our closet it would just you know, anxiety and flew out of the closet and hit me in the face it's just 
ridiculous. That was a weird way to put that. But. What's funny is now looking back at it with practically no stuff, it feels amazing. The ability to say, okay, yeah, I have everything I need within 10 square foot. I have to take three steps to get to anything I need and not have it be cluttered is is crazy. So we've finished decluttering our life, but then there was a lot of stuff that it was, it was a weird transition period where there would be, we started on this way ahead of time and there were just months where it was like, okay, but the next things to go are big furniture pieces like our sofa or our chair or my TV, our bed. It was time. And it was like, I just want to get rid of it so that we can move on. But instead I have to hold on to it. It's like, when is the most appropriate time to get rid of this stuff? And there was no right answer. We basically, we got rid of our sofa like a month before we moved in. We gave my mattress to your mother. Ultimately, I think the answer to that is when you get rid of the bed is when you can sleep in another place. So that's what we did. We did a test run of the van one night and realized there was a list of things that still had to be fixed. It was not done. It was not done. <laughs> and it was it was done in my mind. It was not done. So after, you know, we ran through and we were able to finish all of those things that needed to be fixed in the van, then we were able to comfortably get rid of the bed and get rid of all of the other stuff that seemed necessary and was necessary to maintain apartment life, like a crock pot and an instant pot and a lot more dishes. It's kind of ironic because we kept our crock pot for a really long time and didn't use it because it was it was nice outside. That's the plague of a crock pot. You never use it. <laughs> I know. You use it in the winter when you're like, yes, it's time for crock pot season. You get all, all your crock pot recipes and you make them for like a month and then you're like, yeah, no, I'm done. Yeah. This is a lot of effort because I have to put it all together in the morning. Yeah. We moved into the van and we still had about, what, a month on our lease. We, we were van lifing in our apartment complex parking lot. I had made really good friends with all of the people there and I wasn't worried even a little bit. I knew all the grounds people. I knew all the office people. They were all super cool with me. They were all really supportive of us moving into the van. At no point were we concerned about doing this in their parking lot, which is really cool. Yeah, it was it was nice to have that kind of safe place to start out so that just a place to park it, to be honest. It was one of those things where it was like, while we're addressing to everything else, I'm glad that we have this constant rock in our van life so far. We weren't head first into van life. It was more of a easing into it, which was convenient. After we spent that month in the parking lot and we actually didn't park anywhere else. I mean, why would we? There was a safe parking lot that we knew we were familiar with. We still had the keys to our apartment, so that meant if we had to the use apartment the apartment that was restroom. completely empty, by the way. Yeah. Completely empty. If we had to use the restroom in the middle of the night, you just brought the keys up to the apartment and went to the bathroom. It wasn't a big deal. We could fill up water there. It was, uh-huh. you could take a shower there, so we actually waited too long to get our gym membership so that we could shower elsewhere because after that month was up and our lease was up, we literally left that day for a road trip. And that road trip was 4,000 miles. It was from Colorado to the Central Valley of California, down to L.A., across to Arizona, Arizona, and then across to Louisiana, Shreveport. So not like all the way into Louisiana, but to Louisiana. And then up through Oklahoma, and then back to Colorado in two weeks. So we were driving 
A lot. I read somewhere, the first time you travel in your van, you travel wide and far. And then after that, you travel slow and meticulous. And it was so true for us. Yeah, I mean, it was probably heading from California out into Arizona. It was like, oh man, I just, I want to take my time, but we can't because we told the people we were meeting in Louisiana that we were going to be there on such and such a date. And it was just, it was kind of the worst. To be honest, it was like making this deadline for myself made us travel so much faster, which meant I was driving in the middle of the night until like two o'clock in the morning. And then we were pulling off and then Kodiak was taking over again at 9 a.m. the next day. It was exhausting. (laughs) However, we did get to go see Zion National Park, which is a must. We got to go see Angel's Landing, which is a hike in Zion. If you've never seen it, pause this, Google it. Watch the video, the GoPro video footage of them doing it. It is crazy. Basically, you are scrambling rock cliffs, holding onto a chain with thousand foot drop off on either side. And somehow they allow anyone to do this. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll pause. Look it up. Do it. Do you think they looked it up yet? I don't know. So then uh, in California, we went to the Sequoia National Park and Kings Canyon National Park, both of which were amazing. Kodiak grew up in the Central Valley of California, and he had been to Sequoia National Forest, but never to the actual national park. We decided to go up there, and it was just, it was crazy. It was awe-inspiring. It was humbling. It was every descriptive word that people use for describing trees that size. And I think the craziest thing was, it, it was a quote from a ranger. So mind you, those giant sequoias can grow that tall as little as three foot of soil. Think about that. Three foot. You're probably anywhere from five to six foot listening to this, right? One of those trees that can be 300 feet tall can literally grow in soil from your waist to your feet. That's insane for something so tall. So massive. But I mean, pine trees are what, 20 feet in the ground? Yeah, with their, tap root? their tap roots are really long. Those trees fall over. I'm going to say all the time, but realize their lifespan is like really, really long. So all the time to them is probably every hundred years or so. They they fall over. And the craziest thing was this, this story that one of Lee was talking about how when this tree fell over, the forest ranger ran up to it and the tree had shattered when it hit the ground. And there was water, clear water gushing out of it that was ice cold. The thought of that, I don't know, just was, was the craziest crazy. part to me. I mean, those things are big. One of those falling down would scare the living daylights out of you. You yeah. would, pr- I would die of a heart attack. I'd just be like a really stressed out rabbit and just die. <laughs> that was really cool. For those of you that don't know, Sequoia National Park and Kings Canyon National Park are pretty much the same thing, and they're within 10 minutes of each other. But They basically touch. And we didn't get to spend a ton of time in Kings Canyon, so that means that we probably missed what most people would describe as the cool part of Kings Canyon, because we didn't drive all the way through it. But we did go to see the Sequoia trees in Kings Canyon, so we got a pretty good feel for it, but not the entire thing. And it seemed like Kings Canyon was where you go to backpack, and Sequoia National Park was where you went to drive and see stuff. A lot of what we saw in Kings Canyon was, quote, roadside, even though it was still a longer hike than almost anything in Sequoia. We didn't even touch the other 90% of Kings Canyon National Park because it's all backpacking trails. It was a road that led up 
into it, but we did not take it because it was it was getting dark and we were only supposed to be there for a full only for one day. It was a day trip, and so we did not get to drive all the way up into it, despite me telling Kodiak that I wanted to, and then him telling me that I was crazy. Happens a lot, <laughs> by the way. That's that's always how that goes. Alicia's like, let's go further, and I'm like, you know, we, it closes at this point. We probably should start back. So, that actually... I only listened to her once, Yeah. and it was the worst idea ever. We ended up talking to a cop, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> we went on this trip. We went to Zion, Sequoia, Kings Canyon... Then we drove down to L.A. because everybody complains about L.A. And they were like, oh, it's the worst. Don't drive down there. And I was like, I would like to form my own opinions about L.A. So we drove down to L.A. Freaking love it. It was the best. I loved L.A. It was it was my kind of people. There were so many great things about L.A. Great coffee. Lots of people in yoga pants. So I didn't stick out like a sore thumb in the middle of... Like she had everywhere else, yeah. by the way. In Utah and everywhere like that. She was just so, I don't know, everyone would probably call her hippie. However, in Colorado, that's just normal. <laughs> yeah, so L.A. was pretty close to my normal. No straws, which I am for, and so they were my type of people. And I, we actually drove through L.A. in the middle of the day and later at night. Not late at night, but later at night. And... The traffic wasn't terrible. It was normal traffic. It felt like we were driving around in Denver. Some people would probably call that bad, but... When we went on the trip down to Grand Canyon, so this was back in the Honda Prelude, we ended up... Alicia found a list of stuff that was food to try in every state. The idea is that it's what the state's known for. So... In Colorado, for any of you that don't know, we are famous for Rocky Mountain oysters. It's basically bull testicles. I know they sound gross, but they're actually pretty good. <laughs> you have like, to cook them right, though. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm not trusting just anybody with cooking my bull testicles, but they're pretty good. And so we stopped in Cedar City for Utah's, which was fry sauce. So it wasn't a food, it was a sauce, but whatever. Ew was actually really accurate. So I thought we were going to have to like hunt it down, but no. The the waitress at the diner we stopped at was just had it in a bottle, like a like a ketchup like bottle. Like ketchup. It was so weird. I was like, okay, I've never heard of this before in my entire life. We stop in Utah. And she's like, "Oh yeah, I'll get it for you." And I was like, "Well, I was expecting this to be a little more challenging." And they had stuff on the menu like a fry burger, literally with the fry sauce. So, I don't know. It it, it was cool there. Yeah. And then California's was fish tacos. So now we're back into L.A. Sorry, we're jumping around. We went to the, it was called the best fish tacos. I felt like I was going to catch hepatitis. Hepatitis. I feel feel like I was going to catch hepatitis in this little hole-in-the-wall Mexican fish taco restaurant, and it was amazing. It was to die for. They were probably the best fish tacos I've ever had, which means that it lived up to its name. Yeah. You know what? It, it was a little sketchy. But it was a hole in the wall. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what you expect from those restaurants. And those restaurants are almost always good. Like, little hole-in-the-wall places are almost always the best. So, from there, we drove out to Arizona. To visit my grandpa. So we stopped in Phoenix, Mesa, Arizona. And we had brunch with them. We didn't have to cross off Arizona's food because we did it on a previous road trip to the Grand Canyon, which was fry bread. 
And then we drove to New Mexico to cross off that food since we did not get a chance to do so on our last trip. And that was green chili enchiladas. And we we did that on the border of Texas and New Mexico. So that was, it was interesting because we stopped at a diner. Alicia got it. I got meatloaf. meatloaf with their mashed potatoes had green chili in it. I ate a bite of the meatloaf and a bite of the mashed potatoes and then a bite of Alicia's enchiladas so that I could, you know, personally check it off. Not the best. It was not delicious. Yeah, it wasn't the best place that we ate the entire time, but... It's just ridiculous. It, it lacked flavor, and it was too hot. It There was no, like... My enchilada was pretty good. I want to <laughs> be, be clear that it was, like, it was pretty good. It wasn't the best. It also wasn't, like, unedible. Okay, it was it was good enough to eat Inedible? once. <laughs> so then we drove... <coughs> so then we drove through El Paso, Texas, and... As we were driving, I, so I took over, was driving, so I looked at Google Maps before we left, and I knew that we were going to go through El Paso, Texas, and then the interstate follows the Mexican border for a little while, and then cuts up into Texas. I was pretty sure that we had passed the part where we were driving next to the border. At this point, it was probably like midnight, maybe one o'clock in the morning, and I come across a border control stop. It was literally, the the sign on the building read border patrol. I was asleep this time because she took over because I was, I was falling asleep at the wheel practically. And I'm woken up by rumble strips. And I look up and I see this big building that says border control or border and patrol. Flashing lights and yeah, all trucks guard dogs on duty. And... and we pull, right before we pull up, I look at, I get up look at Alicia and say, uh, are we going to Mexico? And I honestly didn't know because at that point it was, it was one of those things where I was like, oh my goodness, I made a wrong turn. I didn't look at the map properly. Maybe I was following this semi and they exited onto a different interstate or something. I, I honestly didn't know, but it turned out to just be a random stop in the middle of Texas. It was super weird. It was kind of funny because we pulled up, rolled down the window, and I'm in the passenger seat. The passenger seat's lower than the driver's seat, yet I was the one, for some reason, that did all the talking. The guy opened the window. Um, I, th- I think he greeted us. Hi, how are you? Just I, the two of you in the van. Oh, that's right. Just the two of you in the van? And I said, yep, just us and a dog. And as if Sage, our pup, was cued, she flipped out because she heard his voice and she's not a big fan of A, being woken up and B, being woken up by a man. So she's flipping out in the back, barking and barking and barking and barking. And she sounds mean when she starts barking, yeah. So I, I tell her to hush up and the guy says, oh, that's what's in the van? And I said, yes, sir. He goes, okay, U.S. citizens? We both said, yep. And he said, okay, have a wonderful night and flagged us through. Yeah. A so. sketchy red van <laughs> filled. I look kind of Mexican. And they didn't stop us or check us. I thought that was funny. I thought that was interesting because I thought for sure, having a van, first of all, that we would be prime search material. But apparently mm-hmm. not, I guess. It's because you're white as snow. I, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we drove the rest of the way to like Midland, Texas that night. We stopped, slept, drove to Dallas or just outside of Dallas. Stopped for a shower and for fajitas, which was Texas's food. Stopped for fajitas, and the fajitas we stopped for were actually really, really good. 
Their pina colada was delicious. It was pretty good. So we drove the rest of the way to Shreveport that night. We got there at probably midnight. It was my uncle's house. So we actually stayed in their house because it was super humid. It had been raining. It had been flooding. There were tornadoes. We were pretty sure we were going to get caught in in Texas or when we were heading back up into Oklahoma. But very, very humid. Mm -hmm. Those of you keeping track of the food, because that's like the number one thing on my book. (laughs) Louisiana's was what? Beignets? Yeah. No, that's not how they say it. They all yell at me when I say it like that. They're like, it's not a beignet, it's a something. They all said, you have to go down to New Orleans, and we're planning on going to New Orleans for, you know, whether it's Mardi Gras or the French Quarter Fest, we haven't decided yet. You say that's so weird. What? New Orleans. New Orleans? New Orleans. New Orleans! We're planning on going down there anyway, so we didn't get beignets. We did have crawfish one night, which was delicious. It was pretty good. Way too hot. You have to have a Corona with it. That's not true. I don't know why, but you do. I did not have any beer, and I was perfectly happy and content. But it was so much better with a Corona. (laughs) We had a crawfish boil, and we went to an axe-throwing bar. That in itself just sounds weird. It's literally a bar where you throw axes... At, at the wall, and you can drink while doing it, which sounds totally not safe. And it's and not. It's kind of not, because the axe sometimes falls out, sometimes bounces back at you. And these were like hatchets, so they weren't double-sided, which means they're a whole lot harder to stick than true throwing axes. So massive learning curve. And that's coming from someone that can throw knives. So then we headed up to uh, Washita National Grasslands. Washita National Monument, which was just heart-wrenching. First of all, they got the wrong camp. Then they killed a bunch of women and children, claimed not to know. Then they reported back to Congress and said that they killed 150 Native American men when the Native Americans said that they only killed about 40, maybe? Yeah, it was ridiculous. And, And places like that just feel terrible. The people that are saying that they're going to protect us also said they were going to protect them. So I don't know if I want to give up stuff like, you know, certain rights. (laughs) In order to rely on the government to protect me. Yeah. Not after that. I watched, like watching the video and stuff, it was like Black Kettle or a Native American chief who had been working with the government for peace. And the fact that they came in, he had been at Sand Creek, which is a Colorado massacre, and then they massacred him. At Washita. It was ridiculous. It was... We did that, went there, and then we ended up coming up through Oklahoma and stopped at this tiny little place because we have to check the Oklahoma food off, right? Which is chicken fried steak. We roll into this place. Alicia's on the Yelps and on the Googles and on the <laughs> all of the medias. Finds this place, you know, it has like a hundred ratings. It's a four and a half star. The chicken fried steak is called out in multiple reviews. It's their special every Friday. Everybody said it was great. It was not. Well, it was called the Blue Bonnet Cafe. We walk in. It's really small. And it was a small town to begin with. And never would I have thought that a place that has hundred or so reviews would be in a small town. No, it must have been everybody in that town reviewed it. Yeah. So we walk in and we open the door as if we are wearing aliens on our heads. These gentlemen turn around that are at this table and just stare us down. It was. And so eventually she turns around and she's like, so wherever you want. And I was like, oh my, okay. 
This hasn't been super uncomfortable so far. So we sat down, ordered the chicken fried steak, came with sides. I thought, man, their mac and cheese must be homemade. An extra $3 or something. Oh no, no. It was just made out of a <laughs> box of craft mac and cheese. I was Literally. like, this costs a dollar. Why are you charging me $3 extra as my side? And on top of that, the chicken fried steak was, it was subpar. I don't know. It was something that you would get. Like, fast food meals were better than this, unfortunately. Ultimately, we ate it. We didn't die. It was a win. And we crossed it off our list. Yeah. We weren't planning on going back to Oklahoma. We had pretty much seen slash done everything we wanted to do. So we had to cross it out now if we wanted to cross it off. Yeah, it was the last city. Before we re-hit Colorado, which I didn't know Oklahoma touched Colorado. Geography for the win in the United States over here. We ended up coming back to Colorado, and we realized as we crossed the border, as soon as you get over into Colorado, everybody is really, really nice. It's kind of funny because I talked to a bunch of people after we got back, and we were just used to being, I don't know, maybe treated as tourists, maybe... Just treated like shit is yeah. what she's trying to say. <laughs> well, well, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to say that. Like, not all the places we went, people were mean by any means. Like They were just really short and really just pissed off, it felt like. Yeah, it was just like people were unhappy. I guess people really are happier in Colorado. I don't know. But I walked into a gas station, and the, the woman was chatty and friendly, and we had an entire conversation. And I don't know. That's probably what will make it our home base for life. We came back. Uh, we got in, we ended up going and taking a shower because that much time on the road makes you feel like poop. We went, took a shower, and went back to normal life. So now we kind of tour around Fort Collins. We are ultimately a home-based van life couple, which is very strange because most people that you know or you see on, you know, hashtag van life are all over the place. Traveling full-time. They work on the road all the time. But I have to be here for my job. I work at my job three weeks out of the month, and then the other week I'm allowed to be remote travel, but I mean, I still have to be here for three weeks, so Fort Collins is our home base. You know, to be honest, being home-based and living in a van, it, it's not that big of a, a pain. I was actually kind of worried that, oh my gosh, how are we going to be able to find enough places to sleep, because that's what everyone worries about when transitioning into van life, and once you're in this type of lifestyle you realize that nobody cares if you're sleeping in your rig just don't be pissing on the sidewalk <laughs> and don't be super obvious about it i mean be safe like if you don't feel comfortable sleeping somewhere don't sleep there also people are really really oblivious like nobody is paying attention everybody is paying attention to their own lives and i think this is probably the funniest part nobody is paying attention to you ever it's really helped with my social anxiety to be honest, it's unless you're directly talking to somebody, they're worrying about their own stuff. So now that we've been in a month, we both have a couple things that we don't like about van life and a couple things that we do. So we'll just quickly go over. We're going to make another podcast or another YouTube video on the things that we don't like about van life. But we'll just quickly go over three things that we like and three things that we don't. And then one thing that was just really hard to adjust. So go ahead start it off. Okay, first things first, I love being able to travel, to see different things, to basically accomplish traveling while we're still young, and van life has really helped with this, especially when it's 
it's not just while you're on the road, but it's also while we're in our home base, we're exploring our town a lot more. You're getting out and you're not just going home to your apartment to watch TV. Instead, you're kind of forcing yourself to, okay, well, what are we going to do after work? Let's go to this cafe we've never tried, or let's go have dinner by the lake, or let's go to the food truck rally. I mean, it's just, it's been a lot of different experiences all wrapped up into one, and it's kind of, it's kind of great. Two, I really, really like the fact that I really, really like the fact that van life pushes you to do active stuff. This kind of ties in with the first one. Actually, you know what? They're all going to tie in with each other. But it's been one of those things where you're going after work to do things instead of going to watch TV. Or when you're in the van, instead you're cooking dinner with all the windows open and you end up catching the sunset. Or you're, I don't know, deciding to hike on Saturday with your friends because... I mean, you can meet them whenever, and it's not a big deal to leave your bed because your bed is literally in your... Right away when you get up, and then you can get ready when you're going to meet them. You know what I mean? Definitely. That's definitely the second one. It kind of forces you to do more things than just hang out and watch TV at your apartment. The third thing, it's definitely made us more active. So I think that a lot of apartment living was just you go home and watch TV and yeah, it's nice to do other activities like, you know, go to a restaurant or go to a cafe after work instead, but it's also been a whole lot of like wake up in the morning, be like, oh, we could go on a hike today and then we do. Or the fact that we have to shower at the gym means that we're at the gym and it seems silly to go to the gym and not work out. Even though that's what we're going to do tonight, by the way. Yeah. We're recording this in a gym parking lot, getting ready to go take a shower, and I am not going to work out. Last weekend, we ran a 5K, and it wasn't a big deal because we had to be there at 7, so we just parked there the night before. I'm just not a big morning person, so it's made a lot of morning activities more accessible. Sure. So, mine... So, my first one is so, so, so simple. It's the fact of how much money we're saving. So I know that this is kind of ridiculous in the sense that it's, oh, hashtag van life, and you have all of these wonderful things that you're doing, and you're traveling, and you're saying stuff. Yeah, no, my favorite thing is definitely just how much money I'm saving. The fact that you're not paying $1,600 a month to for a glorified storage room is just by far the best thing ever for me. The second part is... It, I really like how much time I get to spend with Alicia. I know that that sounds really silly, but when you work and you have a bunch of other things and then you have hobbies on top of that, it's like spousal time just becomes so difficult. And then when you're at home, you're talking about other things and then it's not quality time. So it's really increased the amount of quality of time that Alicia and I get to spend with each other, which is really, really, really nice. The... My final thing is the traditional hashtag van life thing is we get to go and see places. You know, this weekend we're planning on going camping, which we normally would have never done on a spur of the moment thing. But now we can because we actually, A, can afford it, and B, we have the time to do it. So those are my three my three things that I like about van life. Throw another one in there. 
So I, I really like the fact that it's given me more time to spend with family. And I know that that kind of ties in with spending time spousal wise. But when I was in college, I was away from my family for a long time, even though we were separated by 30 minutes and my mom still works in town. I didn't get to spend a lot of quality time with them and being as close knit of a family as we, we were and we are. It was really, really hard for me to, to do that. I didn't like the fact that I, I was growing up and my parents were growing old and I wasn't there. Not to mention my little brother is 13 and going, or 12 at the time, 11, 12, and I missed that part of his life. It just, I don't know. It's really nice to be able to say, okay, you know, we're going to go park in your driveway. We're going to go park in your street for the weekend and hang out with you guys. So that that's really, really nice. So things I don't like about van life. One, having to shower off-site. Not having a shower, not being able to, I know this is like the weird you thing, but not being able to sit in the shower. Kodiak and I used to like sit in the shower and like steam ourselves like little dumplings, which you can't do at a gym shower. That's kind of gross, besides the fact that you can't shower together. And I don't know, that shower, not being able to shower when you want to, as soon as you get up, or you have to like make an effort to do some basic stuff. That goes for laundry as well. I don't like the fact that we don't have like a washer and dryer at our accessibility. We've been doing laundry at Kodiak's parents' house when we go up there. But also, I mean, if we were in a, another city, we're doing it at a laundromat. We're doing it at other people's houses. It's it's kind of weird, and I don't really I don't really like that. That's not my favorite part of van life by any means. Third and final thing I don't like about van life is finding places to park. I don't like being so I feel so naked, which is so funny because. Nobody can see in our van. We have blockers. Like, light does not get out 99% of the time. And if it does, you're not going to be able to see it because you have to be really, really close to the van to be able to see these. But I just feel so awkward. It's like people walk by and I'm like, oh my god, they can totally tell. Or Kodiak rolls over in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh my gosh, that just shook the van so much. Like, somebody is going to come knock on our door for sure. I think it's just something I'll grow into, but at the same time... Only being in the van for a month means that I'm just not used to it yet, and it kind of drives me nuts. It hasn't really affected my sleep, especially the last, like, three weeks or so, but the first week was kind of the worst. I was just not sleeping well, and it still bothers me when I get woken up by somebody talking outside their car really close to the van, or when Kodiak rolls over in the middle of the night, but... That's, that's funny. Uh, I'll, two things. So one, the shower thing does not bother me at all. Like not even the slightest. I'm actually, I actually kind of like having to shower offsite, to be honest with you. The reason being is that it forces you to be more conscious of your showers. So I, the reason I like that is just because I have a tendency to overshower. When we were staying in Shreveport and we had access to our own shower, I'd wake up, I'd shower, and then I'd want to shower again in the evening, which is just terrible for your skin. So just total side note there. Um, the three things that I don't like about van life, and it's funny because these are going to be, the first one is, is just my personal shortcoming in the building. So 
the sink that we have, if if we're not level, it doesn't drain right. So you end up with a little puddle of water on the side of the drain. That is so annoying when you go to brush your teeth and then you have spit build up in the bottom of the sink. It's not like it smells or anything, but you put a fork in there and then your fork's got spit on. I don't know. That's it's my fault. I built I literally built the sink from a salad bowl and I didn't quite get it level, get the drain level. So that's one. The second one is the water chore. With van life, you literally have the water that you store. So when that water's out, guess what? You don't turn on a tap to fill it, to fill up your glass. You actually have to go find the water. That is such, such, such a pain. Just because, you know, you're lugging, for us, it's a seven-gallon freshwater tank. You're, we're lugging a seven-gallon freshwater tank, and it, whoever will let us fill it up. That's, that's annoying, and that really uh, affects doing dishes. But not enough to, for it to be really, really, really bad. The final thing, and this is also just a van complaint, or a van build complaint, is our heater is really loud. So we have a diesel heater. And I'm kind of afraid to turn it on some mornings because you can, it sounds like a jet taking off. It like whistles. So I, I really just need to put the muffler on it because we got a muffler and I just didn't put it on because I didn't have the right equipment to do it. So I really just need to put that on. But those are my three things. Is That's definitely true. The heater thing bothers me as well because especially here in Colorado, it's been really cold the last couple of nights. And... Yeah, I want to turn on the heater, but I'm afraid somebody will be like, what the hell is coming from my car? And, like, come over and, like, knock. And that's not what you want. So we haven't turned on the heater, and then we end up, like, waiting for it to get warm enough that we can walk, like, get up, which is so not going to fly when it's actually winter here. You're going to have to turn it on. I also think that that will make it, like, it'll be easier in the winter because there won't be as many people on the street. I don't know. I just think, like, we won't have as many people walking around in the parking lot or outside of our van, so I won't be as nervous to turn it on. I don't know. Okay, guys. Well, my clock says an hour and three minutes that we've been rambling, and I'm sure it's not going to be an hour and three minutes because guess what? Editing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But we're going to go take a shower because we have to get up early tomorrow, and we'll catch you later. Do you subscribe to podcasts? Subscribe. Uh, check out our YouTube channel, Learn Live Love Abroad, this exact same, or the website, learnlivelovebroad.com. Um, there yep. you'll find the YouTube and you'll find the pod more podcasts. All okay. Right. We'll catch you later. Yeah. Till next time. Bye. Bye.